Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is the former vice president of marketing of Chick-fil-A, spent 37 years with the company. He's the co-author of Remarkable, and I am an absolute huge fan of today's guest, so David Sowers, please welcome to the show. Uh, such a joy to be with you, man. I'm a huge fan of yours. I know. We can- you on Instagram and following your, uh, all the things that you're doing. I think philosophically, we are kindred spirits. <laughs> when I heard you on the Entree Leadership Podcast, read your book, Remarkable, I immediately sent a video and just blown away by the value that you're adding and that you've shown. And that's all that Remarkable is about is just constantly adding value. But I think we need to go put a little context about your Remarkable story and, sure. you know, obviously Chick-fil-A, how it started and where you are now, just to kind of share with the listeners where you come and where you are. Yeah. Well, I started as a 21-year-old kid on the University of Georgia campus. I was graduating on a Saturday morning and I started with Chick-fil-A four hours later. So literally graduated on Saturday morning, started with Chick-fil-A Saturday afternoon. But Jesse, it was nothing like the Chick-fil-A you know of today. At that time, uh, Chick-fil-A, the headquarters was in a converted air freight warehouse, just room for, say, 20 people. And they'd run out of room in the warehouse, so they cut a hole through the wall, pulled up a mobile home, and my first office was in a mobile home attached to a warehouse. That was the Chick-fil-A that I signed up for. It's it's fascinating to me because everyone sees Chick-fil-A as this billion-dollar brand. I think they're now the third... Third most yeah, successful. Third by volume. Third yeah. by volume. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And that's what everyone's seeing it is. But you started right on the ground floor. And I think most of the listeners here, they're not at Chick-fil-A's level. So I'd love to hear kind of where you, where the company was going, where you were going, because I think that's so important to see that this can happen for anybody if you put the work, effort, and care about your customers more than anyone. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, Jesse, is as a 21-year-old kid, if you had asked me what a remarkable future looked like... You know what I would have told you? I said, I'm going to go out and make as much money as I can, as fast as I can, and retire as early as I can. And I had set 35. I wanted to be retired by 35. And I felt like if I could retire by 35, life couldn't get any better than that. And instead, in meeting a guy named Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, going to work for Chick-fil-A, I discovered something I didn't even realize existed in life, something I wouldn't have fathomed was possible and something a thousand times better than retiring at age 35. You know what I found? The job I wouldn't want to retire from. See, it never crossed my mind that work was something to be enjoyed, that work could be rewarding, that work could be enriching, that work could be satisfying. I thought work was designed to be drudgery. Work was designed to be avoided. Work was designed to be retired from. That put that one level more It's like if my goal was to retire at 35, it meant I wanted to stop doing what I was doing by 35 or sooner. And if my goal is to stop doing what I'm doing, what does that tell you about how much you're enjoying it? (laughs) You're not enjoying it because that's why you want to stop doing it. But I remember visiting with Truett when he was in his 80s in his office. And I'd say, Truett, what are you doing here, man? Your 401k is fully funded. Why are you still here? You know what he'd tell me? He'd say, why would I stop doing something I love this much? Mm. And he would say, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. Mm. So I feel like what I did is I was at Chick-fil-A for 37 years. I never worked a day in my life and I got paid anyway. And uh, that's a pretty good deal if you can get it. (laughs) Of course. Was Truett like the mentor towards you or do you have other people that really led you and gave you guidance? Because you were young, out of college. Not sure what yeah. to do. Okay, you- I had a literally four hours out of college. Yes. So was he your mentor? He was definitely my mentor. And most anything I learned about business that's a value, it came from him. And not only was he a mentor, Jesse, but he was a friend. You know, at that time, we were so small. I literally went on vacation with his family. I remember going to Cancun, Mexico with him and his family. And we went snowmobiling on Yellowstone Park and all these things. So early on, it was was very small, very intimate, very much like a family relationship. And it's hard to believe now, looking back, I mean, because he's almost a, in my mind, he's a mythical character, but... (laughs) Early on, it was just a little group of us. Well, there's something to be said there. You know, obviously, we have a lot of leaders and myself that listen to this. And you look at bosses, and that's such a tough word, but a mentor, but then a friend. How do you get to know your people? How do you know your people? And I'm sure he knew you 
very well and you knew him very well. It wasn't about this is what you need to do. This is about who you are and how I can help you. And, yeah. and I'm very intrigued about the leadership and what he did from a caring standpoint, because it sounds there's only David, there's only two companies that I know that literally have outlasted their founder and grown stronger because of the vision, because of the culture, because of the heart. And that's Disney and that's Chick-fil-A. Mm. And that must be so powerful for what Truett put into you. I just love to know more of those intricacies that Truett brought that really any leader could say, we need to do more of this. Yeah. Well, probably if I were to try and identify what I would call the central organizing idea behind Chick-fil-A, you know, I would frame it this way. 80% of what we did at Chick-fil-A, what we do at Chick-fil-A is exactly what our competitors did. We buy land, we build buildings, we have drive throughs we have cash nurses, we clean bathrooms, we clean tables. 80% is exactly what our competitors did. But 20% of what we do is dramatically different than what our competitors do. And that 20% is what makes 80% or 100% of the difference mm. in our business. And so I'm going to kind of circle in during our time together on a few of those 20% ideas that are so dramatically different than the way our competitors. Because I feel like it's what you do different that makes the difference in your result. What you do is this, the same as everyone else makes you competitive. Mm. What you do different is what gives you a competitive advantage. Mm. And in the way you see things different, in the book Remarkable, we talk about the way we view things drives how we do things. That's one of the things I've learned a lot is the way we see something has a dramatic impact on the way we respond to it. And so 80% of what we saw looked exactly the same as what our competitors saw. But 20% of what we saw dramatically different than what our competitors saw. So what I want to do is dig into some of that 20%. So let me give you what I would call the central organizing idea that I learned from Truett. Most people start a business as what I would call a get-rich scheme. They start a business because they want to get rich. And if they're going to get rich, they're going to get rich at the expense of someone, right? So who are they going to get rich at the expense of? Their customers, their employees, their suppliers, their communities. Enriching my life at the expense of all these other lives. And that's the central organizing idea for a lot of the businesses that we competed against. What Truett role model and kind of opened my eyes to was business as a be rich scheme. Not a get-rich scheme. See, if I'm going to be rich, it's the polar opposite of getting rich. I want to be rich toward my customers. I want to be rich toward my employees. I want to be rich toward my suppliers. I want to be rich toward the communities that I serve. Mm. And business as a be-rich scheme is a very exciting proposition. Business as a get-rich scheme, not so much. Well, no one gets inspired by that. Yes. And think about it. As a 21-year-old kid, what I wanted to do is go out and make a bunch of money and retire early. Yes. What's that? That's business as a get-rich scheme. Yeah. You know, and what I got exposed to is business as a be-rich scheme, which is the job you wouldn't want to retire from, which is the joy you wouldn't want to stop having. So what did that look like in beginning out? Because hearing the stories, hearing your story, reading about Chick-fil-A, it was the food, the food, the food. And then it changed more into the second mile service. This be rich in the late 60s, 70s, mid 70s, 80s. Was it this be rich philosophy then or did it evolve to that? Yeah, I think it definitely evolved over time for sure. But I think Truett from the very get go had a very different view of business. Mm. But that view of business evolved and got clearer and clearer over time. But it was always directionally headed that way. Yes. But I think that the actual manifestation of it became more and more powerful over time. Mm. Yeah. So the be rich philosophy is one that was instilled pretty early. And then another one, you know, I've heard it, which I love you talking about is drive fans over sales. And, you know, you're talking to a guy who was a baseball team, but literally, Fans First Entertainment is the name of our company. Everything is about creating fans, creating fans. And I think that became something that was instilled in you pretty early as well. Hey, we're trying to build fans and the fans will take care of the sales. Bingo. In fact, literally that was where I was going to go next is another central organizing idea that's that 20% that we're different. Yes. Was we always talked about we're not in business to create sales. We're in business to create fans. Mm. And so if you think about it and you go back to that expression, how we view things drives how we do things. I think about it this way. If I put you in a room with 10 other people and I said, you go brainstorm ideas on how to get people to spend 30 cents more at Chick-fil-A. You got an hour. You guys brainstorm for an hour how to get people to spend 30 cents more. And you come back with your list of ideas. Then if I put you in a different room with a different assignment, I say, brainstorm ways to get more and more people to become raving fans of Chick-fil-A. You got an hour. Go. 
I imagine if you brought back both those lists, there would not be one idea on those two lists that would be the same, would there? No, not at all. Not at all. So how we view things drives how we do that. If we think we're in business to get people to spend 30 cents more, that's the ideas that we'll come up with. That's the ideas we'll execute. If we think we're in business to create raving fans, that's the ideas we'll come up with, and that's the ideas we'll execute. But how we view things drives how we do things. And you know what? I love this so much that I'm telling you when we were at dinner, like I will never look at the price of, at Chick-fil-A. But if I go to any of the competitors, I look at the dollar menu. There's no such thing as a dollar <laughs> menu at Chick-fil-A. But if it's a Chick-fil-A, this is what I want. This is how they're going to yeah. make me feel. And yeah. if it's $6.85, if it's $7.15, our president actually worked at Chick-fil-A for a few years. And we have a new person on our staff that worked at Chick-fil-A. Is like, oh, yeah, we just raised prices about a couple of weeks ago. No one really notices. No one really yeah. talks about it because it's the value that you're adding. But what you said there between adding 30 cents versus adding fans, you know, as we've talked, everything we're trying to do is create you wouldn't believe moments that everyone will leave and tell everyone you wouldn't believe what happened at the ballpark. You wouldn't believe how they treated me. In those meetings that happened at Chick-fil-A, even early on going throughout your career, what were those meetings and conversations say, hey, we do this, this will create more fans? Well, what we did is we literally had what we called our raving fan strategy, Mm. our create raving fan strategy. Love it. And it had three pillars, so to speak, three building blocks, if you want to think about it. The first was operational excellence. What we wanted to do is we wanted to do what people expected with excellence. And that's almost a precursor to being able to do anything else. If you're not doing that, the rest of it's not going to work. So operational excellence, do what people expect with excellence. Mm. That's where most people spend all of their time. They get stuck there and they never get past that. Yes. So the second pillar is what we call second mile service. Mm. And you can think of second mile service as do what people don't expect Mm. with excellence, which is what you were just talking about. That's just, you're not going to believe this. The first part is you believe it because what you you expected. But the second mile is you're not going to believe this moment. And, And so the problem with that, the second mile, as we call it, service, is once you do the second mile consistently enough, Guess what happens? That's the expectation. And now moves to the first mile. So you have to constantly be innovating around the second mile because at some point, the second mile will become first mile. Mm. It's what they expect now. And that's the frustration. It's the beauty. It's the kind of blessing and the curse of it. The blessing is you create those. The curse is now they become expected, so you got to move on. But that's what makes it fun for a guy like you and me. That's why we can stay ahead of the competition because we constantly have to be innovating, creating, coming up with new things. The third mile, or the third block, building block, if you want to think about it that way, was what we called emotional connections marketing. Our marketing was not about the price you pay. It's about how do we emotionally connect to these fans that we love. And that marketing was always about emotionally connecting, not about sales and price. Here's the thing, going back to the sales and price issue and focusing on price. What every customer wants is a good value. You want a good value for your hard-earned money that you spend, don't you? I want a good value for the hard-earned money I spend. And value equals what you get divided by what you pay. Mm -hmm. What you get divided by what you pay. So there's two ways to create value. You can increase what they get or you can decrease what they pay. Mm -hmm. What most people do is they choose what? Decrease what they pay. Because what every customer wants is a value imbalance in their favor. And when you decrease what they pay, you just create that value imbalance in their favor. But what's the problem if that's our strategy? Several problems with that. One is you limit the amount of value you can create to whatever the cost. Like if it's a $4 sandwich, the most value you can ever create is $4 with that strategy. And so that's one of the problems. The second problem is the minute you sell them a $4 sandwich for half that for $2, devalues it devalues it in their mind next time they come in they feel ripped off when they pay you the fair price because they say well how could you afford so you're undermining their trust in you by reducing the price so what we wanted is we wanted prices that were fair to them and to us Mm. we also wanted to create that imbalance in their favor but the way we did it is not focus on what they pay focus on what they get what we wanted them to do is have a 20 or $30 experience and only had to pay 7 or $8 to get it. I love that. I, and so that was the miracle of it all is how do we create a value in their mind that far exceeds what they're paying, but not by reducing the price? You know, I love this. And, you know, I'm a big fan of P.T. Barnum. 
And I love the greatest showman, what he did. I think he would be a fan of you. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. But you look, you know, obviously he died 100 years ago, but the circus just died, as we know it, you know, just a few years ago, 146-year run. But Circus Soleil is thriving. And you look at Circus Soleil, a circus ticket, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Circus Soleil, 120, 130, 150. 10 times the price of what a ticket is for the circus. The circus, gone. Circus Soleil, much thriving. And I think a little bit about Chick-fil-A this. You have these fast food restaurants that are barely making ends meet. And then you got Chick-fil-A, but it's not even close to the price. The value is outrageous because it's just a little bit more than your regular fast food restaurants. So what I'd love to know is some of these examples, I mean, either the second mile service or the emotional connection. Again, we go to Chick-fil-A and we feel it. We go there, not because we're getting a sick chicken sandwich. We're going there because we know how they're going to make us feel. But I'd love to know some of these things that came with this raving fan strategy. Hey, here's something we're going to do in second mile service. Here's something we're going to do in our marketing to add emotional connection, just so that people listen and say, all right, that makes sense. I can maybe apply yeah. this. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to answer your question just a little differently than you asked it. But we're Go different. Go different. That's what we do. So I think a great place, you know, there are a lot of ways to create value for people, but sometimes you need to know where to look. And to genericize this for your audience, for a great place to look to create value is to look at the pain points of people doing business with you right now. So right now, for example, a pain point for Chick-fil-A is the drive-through. You know, we've become so popular that our drive-through lines have 30, 40, 50, 60 cars, and that becomes the pain point. So what do we do? We said, okay, if that's the pain point, let's figure out a way to solve that. So what are we seeing now at Chick-fil-A drive-throughs? Yeah, double drive yeah. You got double drive-throughs. You got people with iPads out there taking the orders. You've got all these innovations that took place in our greatest pain point because what that does is creates value for you by saving you time, which is as important as saving people money. And, you know, when you get to interact with one of those amazing young people that we hired Chick-fil-A instead of speaking into a speaker box where you can't hear them and they can't hear you, upgrades the whole experience. Yes. So what Chick-fil-A did a couple of years ago is we said, okay, innovation is the key to all this. And we wanted innovation to become part of the DNA of Chick-fil-A. We didn't want innovation to be something that when we need it, we go to the smart people in a room somewhere and delegate it to them. We said, no, innovation needs to be part of the DNA of Chick-fil-A. And so we created an 80,000 square foot innovation center at Chick-fil-A. And I would love to invite you sometime to come to the headquarters and take a look at it. But what I love to show people when you walk through 80,000 square feet of innovation What's amazing to me about it is there's not one thing we're working on designed to get you to spend one penny more. It's all about how we're going to give you more value for the harder money you're already spending with us. Mm. Because we want to create that value imbalance. So imagine if one day you're having to wait for 20 minutes to get through the drive-thru line, the next day it takes two minutes with the same number of cars. We just created some value by reducing the pain associated with doing business with us. Mm. So that would be one example. That would fall under what we call second mile service. I love it. So yeah, the speed. Yeah, so obviously speed is one huge thing. We think about that. Friction points at our stadium, and you get nickel and dimes. So we made everything all inclusive. We eliminated that pain point, made everything inclusive. I love speed. What's another area, maybe another pain point? Let's show you an example like emotional connections marketing. Yes. So... What, what, here, I, I think we can pull this off online here. One of the things that we talk about all the time at Chick-fil-A is when you walk into a lot of our competitors, this is what you look like. Can you see that? Yes. Yeah. You are a human ATM machine designed to spit money across the counter. <laughs> and what that little 16-year-old has been trained to do as it relates to this dollar is grab as much as they can, put it in the register as fast as they can. Yes. And what that teaches me as a customer is my job is to keep as much as I can And it sets business up as an adversarial relationship where there's a winner and a loser. Yes. And so we said that's not what we want at Chick-fil-A. We don't want our employees viewing our customers as human ATM machines designed to spit money across the county. So we created a video that I can send you possibly if you want to hear it later. But the name of the video is Every Life Has a Story. You may have seen this. Have you seen that? It's the day in the life where everyone comes in and you're seeing like this mother's in this situation. This guy's in this situation. He's got a caption that comes up. It's one of the most emotional videos I've ever seen. Bingo. So that's what we created as the counter idea to this. Mm. And so this whole idea, so we said if every life is a story, 
what if we made it our goal to improve the story for those we do business with? You know, how we view things drives how we do things. What about if our view of business was not to steal grandma's last 30 cents, but our job today is to improve the story for those we do business with. And so give you an actual example of how all this works. And so I was out in Kansas City a number of years ago, and the operator and I just watched that video. And we said, okay, if our goal is to improve the story for those we do business with, how are we going to do that right here in Kansas City at this location? And we got all excited because we watched the video. It's very emotional, as you know. And, and then he said, well, David, all that sounds good, but here's what I got to compete with. And he showed me a 99-cent kid's meal. And when everyone else is doing a 99-cent kid's meal, guess what you feel like you have to do? A 99-cent kid's meal. How else can I compete? But that day, because our paradigm was not how we're going to save you a buck or two off the kid's meal, how are we going to improve the story of the parents and the kids that eat at Chick-fil-A? So fortunately for you, fortunately for me, this particular operator had three daughters. And he said, you know, one of the things I love doing with my daughters is I love taking them on daddy-daughter date nights. And he said, what about if I created a daddy-daughter date night for my customers? And I thought, this is brilliant. In fact, if I'm totally honest, I thought, I get paid big bucks to come up with ideas like that. How did I miss this one? So anyway, we started brainstorming that day, this whole daddy-daughter date night idea. I got excited. He got excited. His restaurant marketing director, which almost every Chick-fil-A operator has a full-time marketing director that works for that location. She got excited about it. And so we started brainstorming. And I had to leave to go back to Atlanta. Two days later, my phone rang, and it was this operator. And he said, David, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, remember that daddy-daughter date night we were talking about? He said, word has spread in the community that I'm doing this. People are starting to call and volunteer to help. Now, think about this for a minute. This is a for-profit business. Probably most of the people watching this have volunteered you know, numerous times to help a nonprofit. But almost no one volunteers to help a for-profit because most of them aren't doing anything worth volunteering for. So a florist had called and said they'd love to donate flowers. A photographer had called said they'd love to come take pictures. Car wash, of all things, called and said, we'd love to come wash the dad's cars while they're in with their daughters. Fast forward a little down the future, he realized that in order to pull this off, he was going to have to cordon off like two-thirds of the restaurant for the dads and the daughters and leave a third open for just the normal patrons who were coming in. And so he decided in order to maximize the opportunity, he would create reservations in 30-minute increments <laughs> that night. So he was able to create 700 opportunities for dads and daughters to come to his daddy on date night. He started at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, went till 9 o'clock, filled it all in and did all the math. And so he put it on his website at 9 o'clock on a Friday morning, two weeks out. Went back to check it at 5 o'clock. Guess what happened? Sold out. A completely full waiting list started eight hours. Mm. And I always joke, I said, but guess who really was signing up? Dad came home that night and found out mom <laughs> signed him up for daddy daughter late night. You know, word was spreading and the moms were signing the dads up. But let me tell you, as a dad of a daughter, those dads were thrilled because almost every dad wants to be that dad, but they get so busy and they get so focused on other things. And But if you just create the opportunity for them to step in to who they really want to be, they will step up and step in. It's exactly what happened. And so I want to walk you through that night. Kind of, yeah, I'd love, I'd love so to do it. It's so powerful. Yeah. So that night, you would pull up outside the Chick fil A, and the car wash people, instead of washing cars, they decided to have them valet park the cars. So they would come out, open your door, open your daughter's door, and then you'd set up a red carpet leading into the restaurant with a big tenant structure. And you would take your daughter in your arm and walk her down the red carpet. About halfway down the red carpet, there was a big container of carnations where you get a flower and give it to your daughter. When you got inside, because they had reservations, they'd set up a hostess stand. So you would walk up to the hostess stand and be, Mr. Sayers, Miss Sayers, your table's ready. And they would escort you to the table that night. Now, here's where it got super interesting and where a guy like you and a guy like me gets very excited about this. See, his mindset was not, how am I going to get people to spend 30 cents more tonight? His mindset was, how am I going to improve the story of this dad and this daughter? So what he'd done is he'd done his homework. He got with a nonprofit in the area. And he said, hey, I'm thinking about this daddy-daughter date night. Help me think through it. And they instantly realized a problem he would not have realized. He said, well, the problem is when that dad sits down with that little elementary age or middle school age daughter, there's something with a C that's about to not happen called a conversation. <laughs> See, most dads don't know what to talk to their daughters about. 
So what he did is he created a placemat with very thoughtful questions that this nonprofit helped him come up with, very thoughtful questions to ask the daughter. And they left a space to record the answer so they could prove to mom that actually had a conversation. And the same thing for the daughter, a whole placemat full of questions for the daughter to ask the dad and record the answers. Now, so they were even orchestrating the conversation, which could have been awkward. But again, his motivation was, I want to improve the story. Now, Jesse, I've got things. I'm a little further along in life than you. I've got things like this from my three kids when they were in elementary school, in their own little handwriting, things about their future, things they were thinking. You know what those are to me today? They are priceless. Yeah. They are priceless to me. So what he did is instead of saving them a buck on a kid's meal, he created something priceless in their lives. Something that I've got a lot of those dads and daughters have to this day. Because what I realized is we think of business as being about greed matter. What I realized in working for Chick-fil-A in a situation like that, business is a lot less about green matter, a lot more about gray matter, a lot more about red matter. Gray matter, red matter, trump green matter all day long. So what we did that night, we just put a lot more thought into it, put a lot more heart into it. It wasn't about dollars that night. And that's why it was so powerful. It's unbelievable because, again, you're solely thinking just about what's their story? What are they going to say about it? What are they going to talk about? How is it going to impact their life? Most companies think, what is it about me? They're thinking about what is it about them? And you're literally making their lives better. And I I didn't know the whole red carpet and all that other stuff. That's You know that's right up my alley, David. I I love that. And so has this been built into, is this part of the vision for Chick-fil-A is to improve lives of everyone? Is that part of the mission? Or is this something that's kind of just come about individually that everyone's thinking about? Yeah. The central organizing idea at Chick-fil-A, there's a corporate mission, but there are a lot of individual interpretations at the restaurant level because every single Chick-fil-A operator is an independent owner operator. So while they're part of a confederation, so to speak, of Chick-fil-A's, their own individual Chick-fil-A is their own individual culture, their own individual expression of that culture. But I think it's, it's in alignment with a broader idea, but it's specifically executed by that operator at their location and a reflection of their personality, their desires, their their own little personal culture at the restaurant level. I love it. Well, it is obviously your theme. What you own is remarkable. You're owning it. I love it. It's such a powerful word. Are people willing to remark about something? Are you creating something special? And you know, you and me both same page, word of mouth and creating remarkable experiences is everything. Obviously, yes. those daddy-daughter nights are special. Are there any other remarkable things that really stood out for you at your time in Chick-fil-A? And then we'll move on to some of these new things you're working on. But I'm fascinated by how companies can create these remarkable experiences and what maybe stood out for you that's like, wow, this could work. Yeah. Well, let me give you another example, kind of the, the same second mile service meets emotional connections, marketing and pain points like we were talking about earlier. Yes. One of the things one of our operators noticed is if you're a mom or a dad with young kids, it's really hard to pull into the parking lot. Like I'm thinking really young kids, like think elementary school. Yeah. Pull in the parking lot, get all those kids in tow, go wait in line to place your order, try and keep them all, try and get your order placed, and then get to the table. That's a lot of work. So one of the operators one day said, I'm going to try and make it easier on moms specifically because he noticed this more often with moms than dads. So he created what he called mom's ballet. And what mom's ballet was is you pull through the drive-thru and you place your order. So you never have to get the kids. They're all strapped in and all that. You place your order. Then you go park. And you come in, and your everything you just ordered is delivered to your table. So you never have to go wait in line. You never have to. You just go straight from the car to the table, and the food is either there or be, to be delivered. And so that created such an amazing response from mom that we were sensitive enough to see, hey, this is tough to do this. How can we make it easier? And found that pain point. And then Mom's Ballet actually started by one operator, became national news. You talk about people remarking about it. It became national news, and it almost, unfortunately, forced all operators to participate because it's kind of one guy's idea, but they all started doing it as a result of this one guy and, and the national attention that it got. I'll give you one other example sure. of a one-idea thing that caught the national news because, again, the spirit of Remarkable is how are we going to mark the lives of the people we serve? And how at the end of the day are we going to look back on something worth remarking about? And how are we going to get customers to want to remark about it? And so a lot of these best ideas get remarked about a lot. So there was another guy here in Atlanta, 
And he noticed that a lot of times when uh, families would come in, let's say at night, they would be staring at this, wouldn't they? They'd all be on their little screens. Instead of having a conversation, they'd be staring at their screen. So what he decided to do is make a game out of it, make a challenge out of it. He created what he called a phone coop. And there was a game where everyone put their phones inside of a little box during dinner so that no one had access to their phone. And if they could make it through dinner with the phones in the box, they won, and they would all get free dessert as a result. It became national news again because it was so opposite. Everything's going digital. Everything's on screens. And so now we're going to have a few minutes with our family to actually interact in life and make it fun. Customers loved it. You know, it's one of the reasons, Dave, why we don't have a digital scoreboard here. We don't have any of that. We want people to come and escape and be together. And we talked about this. The dinner we had for three hours or whatever, human connection is so valuable. And I think Chick-fil-A understands that. And I think the big thing to take away here, which we always look at, you know, stop doing what your customers hate. Look at those pain points. Look at those friction points. And get in your customer's shoes. And I don't know if I share with you, but we go undercover. Someone on our staff every night, even me in the yellow tux, it goes off one night season. And I park with the fans. I stand in line with the fans. I eat with the fans. I sit with the fans. And I had about three pages of notes because you don't know until you feel it, until you go through a Chick-fil-A like, wow, this actually took longer than I expected. Well, how do you make it faster? And, and I, I'm sure you guys probably do something similar and, and you've got to get in their shoes. Yes, very much so. And how many businesses do we wish would do that? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Because about the airline business and different things where I think they probably never sit back in the back and have to try and put your computer up when someone's trying to recline that it won't work. You know, all these little things where people don't experience what they're creating as a customer. You know, it's fascinating. I ask almost everyone in my show when I talk to, I, I've said now that's what I call service. When was the last time you had a service experience that you tell everyone about? And it takes 10, 20, 30 seconds. They have to pause and think about it. It yeah. doesn't happen on a regular basis. And that's why companies like Chick-fil-A are winning. And I want to go into some fun games and I want to go into this yeah. new company. But I have to ask one thing. Everyone would kill me if I didn't ask. As far as the training, onboarding, bringing on people, obviously everyone asks, there's a lot that has to go with the training. Is there any maybe one tip or something you would, you would share about bringing people on, what you're looking to do and how you can bring on great people that care and especially part-time data? Because I know a lot of people, they're not bought in full-time, they're part-time. You guys do yeah. a great job of that. I know that this could be a whole hour conversation, but maybe one tip that we could take away. Okay. I'll give you two. <laughs> Even uh, better. Be, be remarkable. Keep delivering. Add more value. <laughs> I want to create the value imbalance in your favor. I love yeah. it. So one of them is this. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm looking for the right person. You know, help me find the right person. I actually think that's the wrong question. I think the right question is, how do I become the organization that the person I'm looking for is looking for? You know, we tend to say, I want to find the right person. I think we've got to become the right organization that can attract that person. And when you think about it that way, it looks totally different. It's like, how do I become that organization the person I'm looking for is looking for? I think that's just a whole different paradigm. Yes to think about. Second thing I would tell you is early on in Chick-fil-A, a very crucial decision was made. What most people do in the franchise business is they look for people with lots of money by definition. When I need my next franchisee in fast food nowadays, it's probably a $3 million proposition to buy the land, build the building, stock the shelves, equip it. So your first question is, does this person have access to $3 million? And if they don't, I move on to the next person. Truett decided that money was, relatively speaking, the easy side of it. You can find money in a bank somewhere. You can borrow money from a bank. What you can't find is talent. Mm. So he decided to make talent the first question. So instead of, do you have access to $3 million being the first question at Chick-fil-A, you know what the first question is at Chick-fil-A when we're looking for our next Chick-fil-A operator? Would I want my kids working for this person? Think about how many other questions that answers. If I'm interviewing you as the next Chick-fil-A opera, what's going through my mind is, do you seem to be a man of character, integrity? Do you give, like most of our employees, 70% of our employees, teenagers, will you give them a good first impression of business? Will you grow and develop them, et cetera, et cetera? And if I'm sitting across from a person, I feel like that's a person I want my kids working for. That could be our next Chick-fil-A opera. Love it. Now play it out. How do we become the organization the person we're looking for is looking for? Well, it's got to start with the leader. If we have a leader you want your own kids working for, you've got a leader that other parents would want their kids working for. Yes. You've got a leader who cares about growing and developing. You know, it's interesting how we do things drives how we do things. I used to love to ask Chick-fil-A operators, what business are you in? 
because how they beat it would drive how they do it. You know the answer I never got from a Chick-fil-A operator? I'd probably met 2,000 of them along the way. Fast food business. Fast food business. You know my favorite answer I ever got? I got an operator up in Virginia. He told me this. He said, David, I feel like I'm a leadership development academy masquerading as a fast food restaurant. Mm -hmm. I'm a leadership development academy masquerading as a fast food restaurant. So think about the implications of that. If he just, the only reason he sells chicken sandwiches, fries, and drink is to fund his leadership again. He used the product that he's offering the community as great leaders who will be get great contributors to society one day. That's what he will look back on and be proud of. Not how many sandwiches did I sell. How many, that's his funding mechanism for his bigger mission, which is to grow and develop leaders that will be get great contributors to society. And he's merely using the laboratory of the classroom of his business to create those leaders. I love it. It goes back to improving the stories, improving the yeah. stories, the people. And what I love, I've heard you say before, your customers will never be a bigger fan of your brand than your employees are. Yes. And I love that. You create fans of your employees. And again, I know we're still going with this, but things that you guys were able to do, and I know marketing is where you were, but marketing and culture and experience all goes together in yeah. the same bubble as I've learned with marketing as well. How do they create such great fans? Because obviously, it's still a job. Is it by building them leaders, by caring more for them? I mean, what were some things, if you want to create part-time employees to be fans of your company, Yes. what do you do? Because our president worked there for three years and still a giant fan because of when he worked there. Yes. Well, a lot of our Chick-fil-A operators became a surrogate parent to the kids that worked for them. Yes. You know, they became like a second father or second mother to them. Yes. I mean, literally, I know Chick-fil-A operators, if, they're, if they've got a basketball game, the Chick-fil-A operator may be there watching the basketball game. And here's the other thing. If you want the best kids at local high school, the best kids are inevitably very busy, aren't they? They're involved with sports and, and clubs and all this stuff. But they just ignore that and they say, if you're going to work here, you need to be available when I need you. And it's like, you need to change all that for me. What our operators do is say, hey, we work around all that. We want you to be successful in life. Part of being successful in life is participating in sports, in clubs, and we'll work around that. Mm-hmm. You know, you tell me what you need for that, and then we'll work the other time. And they hired enough employees, but they hired the best employees because they were the most flexible. And they became the organization, the person they were looking for is looking for. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people walk away from the same thing because they say, no, I need you to work Friday from 5 to 9. If you can't work Friday from 5 to 9, see you. And they say, well, I've got homecoming Friday. So they were trying to work around. And it, again, it was like, if I was a parent, I'd want my kids to be able to go to the important events in their life. And I'd want an employer who would recognize that that's important too. Mm-hmm. It's not just your employer that's important. You got a whole life that's important. Yeah. And how do we make it all work? They care more for your people as people than for what yes. they can do for you as employees. And when you take yeah. that whole mindset, I want you to be the best person, then of course they'd be a fan they're not just, what can you do for me? It's more, what can I do for you as a leader? I just, I love yeah. that, David. And how can we use our platform of business to enrich the lives yes. of the people we serve, yes. our customers, our employees, our partners, not how we enrich our own life. You know we're going to go to a game now, all right, at our ballpark. <laughs> you haven't seen a bananas game yet, but you know there's lots of dancing, singing, craziness. So we're going to do truth and dare. Which one would you like first, truth and dare? You have to do both. Okay, uh, we'll go with truth. All right, we'll go with truth. All right, so we'll, we'll start serious on this one. So what was something that has been a challenge that has held you back in your career that you're still kind of working with even today? Well, I'll go back to something that happened early on in my career, and it's kind of counterintuitive, which much of Chick-fil-A was counterintuitive. Jesse, early on when I went to Chick-fil-A, I was a 21-year-old kid, you know, 22, 23-year-old, and I loved what I did. Sure enough, just like Truett said, I loved what I did, but I loved it a little too much mm-hmm. to the point that I went one stretch of eight weeks where I never took a day off mm-hmm. for eight weeks, Saturday, Sunday. And I wasn't doing it because anybody was like whip cracking. I was doing it because I loved what I did. And I was single at the time. I was living at home with my parents. So it was kind of, you know, okay. So I got called up to Truett's office. This is two or three years into my career. And I got called up to Truett's office and Truett was there. And the president of the company, a guy named Jimmy Collins, was there. And they said, David, they said, we are so pleased with what you've been doing. They gave me a long list of things they were pleased about. And then they said, we'd like to promote you, but we don't feel like we can. And they said, There's something you're doing that is going to keep you from being promoted. And the only way we are willing to promote you is if you agree to stop doing this. And I'm like aghast. I mean, I'm like, hey, I'm working eight weeks, seven days. What what more could you ask for? I said, David, 
anytime we promote somebody, we send a message to the rest of the organization about what good looks like. And you are working so much that we think it's unhealthy for you and we think it's an unhealthy message to send to the rest of the organization because they're going to think in order to get promoted, they got to do that too. So we're willing to promote you if and only if you will stop working as much as you're working. you got to cut back on what you're working because there are things outside of work that are important too. They said, one day you're going to be married and you're going to have a wife and kids and you've got community service. We don't want you working seven days a week, eight weeks in a row. So the only way you get promoted is if you agree to work less. Mm. It's caring more for people again, caring more for you as a person and what you can do for the business. I love that. I love that. That's the lesson I learned. It's still one I got to continue to learn because I love what I do so much. But (laughs) anything, you know, any strength taken to an extreme becomes a weakness. Mm, 100%. They showed me that that had become a weakness because I was taking a strength to an extreme. I love it. I love it. Don't think that's going to get you away from the dare. Are you ready for the dare? Okay, let's take the name. All right, this will be different than any podcast you've done before. So this is at our games. We have an official sing-off where we have 2,000 fans in one grandstand versus 2,000 fans in another grandstand. When the song stops, you have to finish that song lyric. All right, David? So here's this song actually fits to what we've been talking about at Chick-fil-A, all right? No one, I'm not expecting good singing, but I'm expecting you hopefully to know this one. goes back to 1987. 1987. Are you ready for this? Yep. So when it starts, we got to finish that song lyric. Here we go. You make me feel. Yes. Yes. It's the way you make me feel. The way you make me feel. Yeah. The way you make me feel. Michael Jackson, 1987. And this is why it goes into a little chick flame being a rock. Well, here are the lyrics. I never felt so in love before. Promise, baby, you'll love me forevermore. I swear I'm keeping you satisfied because you're the one for me, the way you make me feel. I think that's, I'm going, that's about Chick-fil-A right there. All right. That's all about <laughs> Chick-fil-A, David. And you actually nailed it. I'm very impressed. All right. You won truth or dare. Good work. Have you ever sung on a podcast before? I have not. All right. Good. Well, that's, that's a first. Right, never again. <laughs> I thought you killed it. That Maybe was, a one and done. That was remarkable. I was very impressed. All right. So now going towards another favorite business and what they're doing now, I would like a little bit about Rome. We sh- you shared at yep. dinner. You guys are really changing the game and looking at another business, not just a food service business, another business to reinvent the experience. Share a little bit about Rome and some of those things that you're doing differently with this that I think businesses can apply. Yeah. Well, first of all, Rome is like R-O-A-M, like Rome around. And what it is, is it's a modern day workplace. We call it innovative workplace. A lot of people will call it the co-working business, where you have shared facilities among a lot of different people. And so probably the most famous company in this category right now is a company called WeWork, you know, made some missteps here recently for those that are familiar with the industry, but we're completely different. We're as different from WeWork as probably McDonald's is from Chick-fil-A. But anyway, what we're wanting to do, the mission of Rome, well, I'll talk about it more personally first. I feel like, Jesse, that to those who much is given, much is required. And I felt like for 37 years, I was given an amazing work experience. And I sat back and enjoyed it and got rich by it. But I feel like now what's required of me is to recreate for others what Truett, Kathy, and Chick-fil-A created for me for all that time. Because last year, there were 80,000 people that applied at Chick-fil-A for a little over 100 opportunities. So what are the other 79,900 people going to do? we got to create more businesses like Chick-fil-A for people to love what they do, love who they're doing it with, love the mission they're on, and love who they're becoming in the process. So Rome is a little startup. We started with one location seven years ago. We're now up to five locations. Number six is under construction. But basically what Rome is, is my attempt to recreate for my employees and our customers and guests what was created for me in the context of a different business. So the mission of Rome is to renew and inspire the way the world does business by partnering in the story of accomplished dreams. The renew and inspire part of that is this whole idea of viewing business as a be rich opportunity, not a get rich opportunity. And viewing work as something to be enjoyed, something to be enriching, something to be rewarding, not something to be dreaded, not something to be retired from. So the whole renew and inspire is to renew. I feel like in many ways work is broken. Work work is looked at as a dirty four-letter word, something to be avoided, something to be dreaded. 
something to be endured. We want to create this renewed and inspired that work is something fantastic. Work is something I look forward to. Work is something I love doing. And if I love doing it, I'll never work another day in my life. Kind of thing. So we're trying to create that for our own employees, but then make it contagious yes. to the people who come here. Because basically the people who come here are either nonprofits or for profits. And a lot of them are smaller companies, you know, small nonprofits, small. But we even have Fortune 500 companies. Right right now, as I'm sitting here today, we've got Porsche, we've got Mercedes, we've got Chick-fil-A, actually. One of the, you know, I'm in a room right now, and we're trying to create this high-level experience. But then the partner in the story of accomplished dream. The thing that is a common thread through everyone who comes here is most of the people who are here today are working on their dreams. They're a small nonprofit dreaming about a broader future, and this is their office space. They're a small for-profit working, or they're a Fortune 500 company that's doing an off-site planning retreat dreaming of a brighter future. And so we want to, while they're here, renew and inspire their view of work. And then we want to partner with them to help them accomplish those dreams. So another way to think about it is, how can we give the small business person access to the resources of a billion-dollar business? When I was at Chick-fil-A, every day I'd jump to a billion-dollar business You know, later on. And it's like, if I needed an accountant, we had three floors of them. If I needed a lawyer, two floors of them. Yeah. IT, five floors of them or whatever. So, But the average person with one or two-person company or ten-person company, they don't have those kind of resources. Yes. So how can we create the resources to be shared among a bunch of different companies, but still give them access to that? And then give them access to a culture that's inspiring and renewing and invigorating and creates work as a pleasurable experience, not an experience to be dreaded or endured. So you're now you're five, you're going six, and it's all starting with the culture first, your people, then the experience. And then, yeah, you told me there quickly, I know we have a lot of time, but some unique things that you're doing with the actual places. I mean, it's not just like typical work environment. Not at all. In fact, all the different rooms are different themed rooms, and we try and come up with every new location. We have new rooms that we come up with, and uh-huh. we're innovating. And we're always trying to, like, right now we're about to roll out a new membership program. And just like Chick-fil-A, People aren't going to pay one dime more than they're paying now, but their rewards, what they're going to get is going to dramatically increase, but what they're going to pay is not going to increase at all. Love it. We're trying to create this value imbalance in their favor. I love it. The 20 to $30 versus the $5 like you were talking Thank before. You. I love it. All right. Question time. If you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. David, yes. I'm fascinated. What are some of the best questions you're asking now? Okay. One of my favorite questions to ask in an interview, I often get asked, what questions do you ask during an interview? <laughs> my number one favorite question. Let's, we'll role model this. We'll, we'll say that I was interviewing you. I'd say, all right, Jesse, I want you to pretend with me for a minute that somebody has videotaped your entire life. We've got it all on film. And I want you to edit that down to about a 20-minute documentary of your life as it relates to this question. What are the things that have molded and shaped you into the person I see sitting here today? It could be successes. It could be failures. It could be teachers. It could be coaches. It could be parents, friends, you know, all these different things. But I want you to walk me through your documentary. And I want you to start with where you were born and chronologically just work through all those things that have molded and shaped you into the person I see sitting here today. So start with birth, end with today. You got 20 minutes. And somewhere along the way, either the beginning or the end or in the middle, I want you to give me a title for your documentary. Oh, I love it. I love it. So that gets to see creativity. Imagine how humble they are, who they care about, who's mold. I mean, it, there's so many powerful things in that one question. And I'm taking notes. Yes. I now know all the rest of the questions to ask. Basically. After answer that one. Wow. Because if they start talking about their father first or their mother or their grandparents. I know where to go with all the subsequent questions. What were the lessons you learned from them? Oh, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. All right. You won the interview with that right there, David. You won it all with that. Uh, all right. I just want to go the final ones right here. What is one thing that you've done to stand out in business and in life? That may be the truth or dare question there. Uh, <laughs> I think fundamentally, going back to this I think of business as a value creation activity, not a value extraction. Like people think of business as an opportunity to extract value from other people. I've always viewed it as an opportunity to create value for people. And if you see it as a value creation activity, you create fans. If you see it as a value extraction, you create almost enemies, you know, in a sense. And so I think fundamentally a view of life, am I on the face of this earth? To extract value from everybody I encounter or create value for everybody 
again. And at the end of your life, when you look back on your life, the answer to that question will dictate a very different way of living life and a very different way of people viewing your life, mm. depending on how you spent your life. I love that. And I love, too, creating value and creating fans. One of the things, too, yeah. you consistently show up. You consistently show up and do what Chick-fil-A does. They're consistently there. They consistently make you feel good. That's how you create fans. The team shows up, plays every Sunday there. They create fans. And, and David, the way you've shown up just with our few times together, it's been so powerful. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. But I, I got to have one more question here. Yes, sir. How do you want to be remembered? Probably the most important thing, Truett Cathy lived his life by a proverb. It was Proverbs 21. It says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And what will be most important for me is at the end of my life, that I get to the end of my life with a good name that hasn't been tarnished along the way. And one of the ways a lot of people's names get tarnished is the pursuit of great riches. And the reality is, the truth is, that the real riches in life will never be found in a bank account. They're found in the richness of relationships yes. with the people that we enjoy and the richness of what we uh, gave to people along the way. You know, they, they say that uh, life is God's gift to us. The way we use it is our gift back to him. And so I just think the richness of relationships, the richness of what we gave along the way, not what we got would be the way I want to be. I love it. The good name. I, I think you're doing that, my friend. And I'll tell you, uh, the impact you've made on me in a short period of time, my wife, Emily, will tell you, Jesse, you talked about David for about two days afterward and your dinner <laughs> and stuff, and the impact that he's made on you. And um, I look up to you. You're a mentor from afar, and you shared so much wisdom today. And I just want to thank you for being with us again. Well, it's pure joy, and it's my pleasure. <laughs> it's really a pleasure to be in your life. I mean, this is one of those rich relationships I'm talking about. These are the true riches, yes. not the size of our bank accounts. That's, that's for sure. David, thank you. Okay, buddy. All right, we're off. All right, thank you so much. I know we went right up into the hour, but just you were so good, man. I just I did I got lost in those conversations. (laughs) But yeah, let's keep in touch, and yeah, like hopefully we can get together again. But I really appreciate you for everything. Definitely, well, I definitely want to come to one of your games next season. We'll make it happen. We'll look at a schedule, make it happen, and I'll take care of you. Okay, buddy. Thanks, David. Take care, man. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.